Wilson. Like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top. Subic, great grab. Across the ground. Bam! In comes Donny Wormold. Got it out to a oh. kick. Kick smothered. Check. Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Rioli. Spin. Grips. Goal. Superb from the Eagle. Kicks inside 50. McGovern. McGovern. What a play. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. I'm your host Honey Badger 35 Coming up on this week's episode, we'll recap the Eagles' dominant but inaccurate victory over Essendon, criticise the match review panel, get hyped for Nick Natanui's return, and preview yet another danger game as the Eagles prepare to take on Hawthorne. Uh, this week we're coming to you with a bit of a, a sort of a dream team lineup, I suppose. A podcast all-stars, the who's who, as it were. So first up, please welcome to the show, Miguel Sanchez. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I don't know whether you just heard my dog start barking at something then. Yeah, apart from that, I'm good. Um, happy to be talking about a win again. Quiet, Miguel. The dog's barking. Uh, also joining us is Mr. KK. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Um, big month of footy. Ticked one off and... Uh few tough ones to come, so it's exciting time. Exciting times ahead indeed. And last, but certainly not least tonight, rounding out the group, please welcome Keys back to the pod. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, looking forward to the, the run home for the season. So we're in a, not a bad spot. Could be better, but it's all looking good. It is indeed, and another strong result on the weekend. So let's just dive straight into that and get things underway. The Eagles, 14 goals, 22 behinds, 106, defeated Essendon, 11-5-71. Frustrating game, this. It was We were dominant for large stretches, but we were perpetually inaccurate. There were some really great, joyous passages of footy and times where we looked at our absolute best, champagne. And then there was the always frustrating 10 minutes of pressure and Essendon would slingshot down the other end for a goal. So... Look, as I said, it is a weird one, but looking back, you can say we got the win, we solidly got the win, uh, and the Eagles are back inside the top four. Miguel, what was your takeaway from the game? Well, at the time, it was really frustrating watching us sort of um, squander a lot of good chances, but looking back on it, apart from the inaccuracy, it was a pretty dominant performance. Um, The thing that impressed me most, I think, was how well um, the decisions at selection panned out. You know, we talked the previous week about the changes, and some of them were sort of bringing in Hearn and Yo uh, and you know, bringing back Oscar Allen to replace Hardy, and they were sort of all no-brainers. But then um, the other changes that they made, putting Nelson in for Cole, I think a couple of us talked about it as a possibility, but that worked out really well. Nelson did a, a great job on um, McDonald and Tip and Woody, and the change that I don't think any of us predicted was um, uh, Waterman dropping out and, and Maston coming in. Um, which gave us sort of one extra midfielder more than we normally carry, but that was obviously part of a a grand plan to play Hutchings as a defensive forward and have him tag Saad, and that one worked really well as well. So the fact that they made six changes and a couple of the sort of the, the less likely changes were quite ballsy, I thought, and it would have been easy to um, to not have gone down that path and, and win the team too much, but... They all paid off, and um, a lot of the, the planning by the coaches paid off as well, I think. Essendon in the past and, and the corresponding fixture last year, they carved us up through the middle with their speed, and we just completely denied them um, the ability to do that. I can't remember really any passages of play where they 
you know, they cut through the centre square and, and Saad and McKenna and Tip and Woody got off the leash. So, yeah, it was a great performance all round apart from the finishing, which you know, Kennedy missed some easy shots. Apparently he had tonsillitis and then that seemed to be the, the goal kicking woes, not the tonsillitis seemed to be catching. But <laughs> apart from that and apart from the fact that we could have you know, boosted our percentage a little bit, yeah, apart from that, it was a really good result. Yeah, it's one of those ones where in, when you're in the moment at the ground or watching on TV, whatever it is, it is very frustrating because you've seen teams squander great opportunities with inaccurate kicking. Maybe it's something we could have or should have seen coming. As I said, 14 goals, 22 on the day. The last three seasons, the Eagles have scored 32 goals, 54 behinds coming after buys. So uh, that, that inaccuracy after the buy is something that is perhaps a trend we need to look at going forward. And I saw a few other interesting stats floating around just on the accuracy. So the Eagles had 24 set shots, grand total of five goals out of those. Essendon had six set shots, grand total of five goals out of those as well. So, you know, it it was one of those where we did leave some percentage on the table, but in the end, we've had 20 more scoring shots than Essendon. It truly was dominant. I saw a tweet in the week that that was the third lowest margin of victory by a team that has had at least 20 more scoring shots than their opponents. So... We really could have been looking at 10 goals, if not 100 points, that sort of thing. But KK, hard not to be pleased with the effort, with the energy, with the game plan, really with the execution of everything, apart from that final kick at goal. Yeah, I think the coaches will, will take the inaccuracy. It's uh, If you're going to have it in a game, it's best to have it in a game where you're that dominant that it doesn't cost you the victory. And I think the coaches will be absolutely pretty wrapped with themselves and everything they, they did. And Keyes talked about all the tactical stuff. That they did. It's really pleasing that with an extra week to prepare, the coaches haven't got ahead of themselves and thought about September too much. They probably are at some point, but um, they they took that extra time to really zero in on the best way to win the next game, and their their plans were were fantastic. They totally nullified Essendon's strength, which was their speed and their turnover ball. Totally took that out of the game, and I think it's probably uh, it bodes well for. Their confidence, like coaches are people too, they uh, they need to be confident going into the back end of the year that their decisions are going to have the right impact. So it's probably a, a real fill-up for them. Yeah, that's probably uh, where the main takeaway for me was the coaching and maybe with the, the selection as well, that we sort of adopted a strategy last year that we had defined roles and we picked the best player for the role. didn't matter if they weren't necessarily the best 22 on a power ranking system or they were a young player. We played Venables all last season. Maston was pretty much best 22 because he was the best for a particular role. And now when we had the suspension of Rioli, they they went back to that strategy. Cameron was the next most like-for-like replacement. doesn't matter he's a first-year player and looks like he's about built like a 12-year-old. They backed him in and he, he did the job and he'll be uh, very hard to dislodge out of the team this week, I'd have thought. Absolutely. Yeah, really pleasing debut for Jared Cameron and, and let's talk about that Miguel obviously you talked about the selection and KK now bringing up yeah the selection of Jared Cameron Keys, I'll throw to you on this one seven disposals seven tackles two goals uh he could have had more much like the rest of the side you know a, a few that went left or right of the goals but basically it looks like they've sent this kid out there as as KK's just pointed out he's super light small frame but they've sent this teenager out there and said, mate, go and tackle, just relentlessly pressure, chase their halfbacks, and he's done a fantastic job. What did you make of Jared Cameron's debut? Yeah, pretty pretty exciting, really. His, his first touch was what impressed me. I mean, he took a mark on the on the wing, and then he's drilled 
I think Tom Sheed with a 45 metre pass into the centre square that sort of floated in between about three Essendon players and he just picked him out and there'd be, there wouldn't be an AFL player in the comp that wouldn't be pleased with that kick and it was clear I think that the coaches probably just told him that this is what we want you to do, kept it simple for him, didn't uh, overload him with instructions but he delivered, you know, he applied the pressure, you know, he, he laid a few tackles but he even when he didn't them he was still chasing the racing and being a bit of a nuisance and got on the end of a couple of goals and and probably could have ended up with uh, with three or four with a with a bit of accuracy. So it was for a guy who I, you know, when I was watching pre-season training, I thought you could see he had the talent, but you just were worried that he was, you know, it's going to take you know a couple of years to develop a body that could cope with AFL footy. And I, you know, the fact he could do that in his first game bodes well for uh, for his future. How exciting is it going to be having him, Rioli, Ryan? Petrocelli and Cripps in the same side and possibly as early as this week, just the five of them running around. It's it's going to be the stuff that it's we're dreams are made of, really. Yeah, I, I don't think I can think of a time where we've had a forward line that's got quite that sort of X factor and real genuine excitement about it. I saw a post this week. I forget who it was. I'm sorry. I don't have the exact post in front of me, nor indeed this exact lineup, but the point will become very clear very shortly. They posted our forward six on paper uh, from the Essendon game and compared it to a game only a couple of years ago. It might have been 2016, perhaps. And it was a lineup like McGinnity, uh, maybe Mitch Brown, you know, obviously Lacroix, Darling, Kennedy, these sorts. But it was, you're looking at. Suddenly we've got, yeah, Petch, we've got Ryan, we've got Rioli, Cameron, obviously, and, and Cripps as well. All these guys who are a genuine small forward who have a role to play rather than just plugging in the next best guy into the forward pocket, whether that fits or not. So certainly exciting times on paper from an Eagles forward line point of view. Let's move away from the forward line. We'll have a look at the mids. Miguel, I'll start with you in this one. Dom Sheed, fair to say I think a lot of people had him as best on, certainly in the best two. 36 disposals from him. Two goals, another miracle goal as well, if you do not mind. So for you, where does he rank amongst the Eagles' midfield? The easy answer would be to say, you know, he's down the pecking order a little bit. Yo and Shuey, these guys might be ahead of him. But for a bloke that couldn't get a consistent game last season to be where he is at now, he's going at a goal a game. He's racking up the touches. Is there time for us to start thinking that maybe Dom Sheed is sort of our second best midfielder? I don't know. You wonder how much he is sort of benefiting from... You know, Shuey and Gaff and Yo getting the tag every week. Where you know, I, I can't remember a week where someone's sent a tagger to to Sheed. So whether he's benefiting from that a bit, but yeah, he's certainly in the form of his life. Um, basically continuing on from last year's final series, and he's he's now at the stage where you know that you wouldn't consider dropping him. Uh, we've got we'll get to changes, but um. I think we've got to drop a midfielder this week, but he would be, you know, a long way from from being in the gun for that. I think we talked probably at the time we were folding the club um, five or six weeks ago that how he and Gaff were going to fit in the same team, but they've been working really well together. I think um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the time it seems to be um, Sheed passing to Gaff or Gaff passing. So uh, you know, if there was any any um, issues there, they've well and truly um, got them sorted. And just his ability to go forward and, and snag a goal as well. Over the last few years, I think we've sort of struggled to get any goals from our midfield. Uh, and, you know, Shuey and maybe Yo are the only two that you could really rely upon 
to kick goals out of the midfield, but uh, Sheed's, I think, averaging at least a goal a game this year, uh, and he's kicked some really big ones as well. So you know, just adding that string to his bow um, has made him invaluable. Yeah, so 13 goals in 13 appearances thus far. He's had a few bags, obviously two on the weekend. He kicked three against Collingwood, two against the Gold Coast as well. So look, there have been individual games where he's not kicking a goal, but you can't really count out the idea that, all right, well, if we've got to get to 12, 13, 14 goals to win a game, one of them's probably coming from Dom Sheed. And to be able to attribute that before you get to Yo or Shuey or maybe the odd gaff goal or maybe a forward pocket goes off, just having a guy that you can pencil in for a goal a game out of the forward line is is exceptional. KK, I'll start with you on this one. The back line. Now, there's a McGovern story we're going to get to later. Uh, obviously, it's the big eagle story of the week. But just moving away from that just for the moment, we'll talk. We'll keep it between the sirens. How impressive was that back line effort? We've already touched on the ability for the Eagles to shut down Essendon's run off the halfback, but I think that's our most dominant intercepting performance. Shepard, Hearn, McGovern, these sorts of guys. I think that's our most dominant intercepting performance of the year. Yeah, I tend to agree. We we had that particularly uh, in the second term with that setup where we really didn't let them out of their half. Um, the only time they they got forward of the ball was um, when we kicked a goal and they got a centre bounce. We really had the lockdown, so it was our best performance of the season. I think say the Nelson for Cole was was a great inclusion. Cole had been a bit out of form, and Lee Nelson didn't get a lot of the ball, but did a great shutdown job. I thought Schofield played his best game he, he's played for the year. McGovern was McGovern. Hearn slotted straight back in and showed how much we missed him last week. Shepard totally destroyed Fantasia. And, yeah, really all of them just had did their role to perfection and, uh, and were in combination were great as well to to get the structure that Essendon just couldn't penetrate. Keys, what did you make of the backline's performance? And, I mean, for myself, it's it's funny we're recording this on the Wednesday night. This Essendon game feels like it was forever ago, so I'm not even sure how much more detail we need to go into it. But just in general, obviously, first I'll start with the backline performance, and then also in general, did this game for you give any indication of where you think this Eagles club can go this year? You know, are you looking at that output and thinking, yeah, this is a side that can go back-to-back this year? I think so. I think it was, it was our best game. I think you've got to probably temper it a little bit in that, you know, Essendon had been pretty up and down all season. So you've got to take into account that, you know, the opposition perhaps wasn't at their best. But I think there's plenty of times where you look at the Sydney game and, and I think we turn around and say, well, we weren't we're now the best against Sydney. But Sydney didn't really allow us to play the best. And I think we, we certainly did that to Essendon. So... It was a bit of a, I mean, so you guys alluded to it earlier, I think it was a triumph of planning and, and everything sort of worked, which is not something that we've really had this year so far. And I think some of the comments coming out of the Sydney game were, we knew what Sydney were going to do and they actually did what we planned for, but we weren't good enough to stop it. And I think that really, that stung the coaches. And I think that's probably why there was as many changes as what we did see made. And for those, that planning and those changes to do it were, were really good. And it shows that maybe the guys are just starting to get their, their mojo back together and uh, can make, you know, in this back half of the year, make a really good run out. And I think if you go back to last year, we lost three games straight after the bye and we lost the, thing, the momentum for it. Hopefully this time it's the opposite and we um, get to build some momentum off the bye rather than losing what we did last year. The big Eagles news story of the week, it has been hanging over us since last Thursday night, is that Jeremy McGovern has been suspended for 
what I can only say is a legal bump that has sent Matt Guelfie into the Optus Stadium fence. Now, without getting into the ins and outs of the actual mechanism, the incident, what happened, I mean, we've all, we all would have seen it a million times by now. Coming straight away, leaving the ground, I, I thought there was a pretty good chance he'd get off, given some similar incidents that we'd seen in recent seasons. By my count, nobody has been suspended for an incident involving the fence for many, many years, and that was a sling tackle straight into the fence. So I felt pretty bullish that he'd get off. Uh, he was offered a week. It was deemed high contact, medium impact, and careless. The club challenged. There was a bit of a back and forth around the duty of care with, with the plastic chair and all of this. Another great night on the board for the Match Review Panel thread. But the end result of all of this is that we are without Jeremy McGovern for this weekend's game. I'm pretty disappointed. I think it's fair to say that everybody on this podcast is pretty disappointed. Adam Simpson, also pretty disappointed because he is uh, has gone on radio this morning and had some pretty damning words to say about the process. So Simo said, I think it's pretty obvious what the AFL mandate is, isn't it? If you get injured and it's reportable, you're going to miss weeks. There were several incidents on the weekend which were potentially really dangerous, I thought, but because the player got up and continued to play, the old no-harm, no-foul attitude has taken place. That's the way it is. I've got my head around it, and until they change the rules at the end of the year, all something else will be different. So Simo pretty frustrated. We're all, I think, in the same boat that if an injury occurs, you're going to miss weeks. It's a bad outcomes-based system, but it's the only system we've got apparently at the moment. You'll each get a crack at this one. So Miguel, we'll start with you. Take it away. What was your read on the suspension? What was your read on the match review panel angle that we took? And you know, where do we go from here where basically if you accidentally hurt a bloke, you're gone? Well, if you accidentally hurt a bloke, I think you're okay. It's if you commit a reportable offence and hurt a bloke, then you're in trouble. And, yeah, I, I agree with what Simo said there. Um, the the current system is weighted too much at the moment to outcomes. Um, and you know, and we saw you know, Bell Chambers sort of go in for a head-high bump and clean up Shuey, but Shuey got up and played on, so he got a fine. Can I quickly yep. cut you off on the Bell Chambers one? Let's if if Shuey were concussed and missed the game, that's it. That's the that's the end of it. There's no lasting. There's no neck damage. There's none of that. He he he's set to play this week. All of that. Let's just say he is concussed and sits out the game. How long? How many weeks do you think that would have been given? Uh, it should have been given a week. I'd say um, should have been given the same as McGovern. Okay, fair enough. I think it probably would go a little higher than that. But anyway, sorry. Please oh, continue. Sorry, sorry. You mean what? What would have happened if that had, or what should happen? Oh, no, no. Let's just pretend there's a hypothetical world where that bump, everything played out identically, except Shuey were concussed and sat out of the game. How long do you think in that case that Bell Chambers would have gone for? Uh, would have gone for a week, but I, I think you're saying he should have gone for two. That should be worth two weeks, and I think that's right. Okay. Anyway, sorry, please continue. Under, under the system, I haven't looked at the grading, but I'd say, you know, his fine would be bumped up to a week if Shuey hadn't played out the game. Similar to McGovern, you know, if... if Guelphie had got up and shook his head and played on, then uh, McGovern would be fined and we wouldn't be having this conversation. It's too weighted to the outcome as opposed to the action, um, which is an issue that they need to look at at the end of the year. But you know, with the system that we've got, I think I was like you. I walked away from the game thinking, oh, McGovern's fine, and the bump started inside the fence, and it's just unlucky that he's hit the fence and the chair and everything else, and, and so you know, play on, so McGovern will be fine. But... Um, looking at it in slow motion, it was really that sort of push after the initial bump, and that that occurred well over the line, and that's probably what put him into the fence, and that's probably what has ruled McGovern out for a week. So I'm not too fussed about that outcome, but yeah, going forward, I think we need to look at, the league needs to look at you know, correcting the weighting a little bit about you know, the actions that we want to rule out of a game 
uh, and, and penalising those more than just penalising the outcome of those actions. It was a pretty calm, pretty measured response. And I've got to say, Miguel, I'm fairly disappointed. So you've, your soapbox privileges have been revoked. I'm going to hand them over to KK. Take it away. What did you make of the incident? What is the AFL's vision in terms of what they're trying to get through the tribunal? Shouldn't the punishments be there to deter other players from doing the same incidents? Um, there's three things from our game. There's the McGovern one, Bell Chambers, Redmond. I reckon if you polled players and fans as to which to, to rank them as the worst incidents, no one would say McGovern's was worse than the other two. Like Bell Chambers because it's got high risk of serious injury, Redmond because stamping on a player is not part of football and never has been, and that should be nipped in the bud. So, But then you look at the penalties the AFL come out with, those guys get a fine and free to play, McGovern misses a week. I really um yeah don't get it. it does my absolute head in and Simpson's right to to talk about how it's such an outcomes-based system. Um, in terms of the tribunal itself, how do we end up with a 180-game Essendon player on the panel yep. to decide this? One like, of three. Come on, how many panellists can you pick from? And far be it for me to tell a QC how to do his job, but I, I don't know if David Grace is a huge expert in the AFL tribunal. I mean, how much focus does he put on it, except when he's fighting cases on our players' behalf, which might be one or two a year. I, I didn't think the strategy was right. It seemed to be about almost like a criminal case, trying to throw a few things at him, get some reasonable doubt, try and get the whole thing thrown out as saying he wasn't owed a duty of care, where we, we know the AFL is hard-ass on duty of care if you choose to bump and they get injured, you're in shit, basically. I think we didn't really challenge the point of medium impact combined with high contact. I reckon that would have been a better strategy just to try and get one of those things changed. Still would have copped a fine, but would have been free to play. Having said that, I thought Fremantle's strategy was equally stupid, trying to claim that a headbutt when you're standing directly in front of someone is not intentional, and that got accepted. So what the hell do I know? hope that's good enough. Soapbox over. Well, Walters has only done it once before, so how could he possibly have intentionally done it a second time? Anyway, Keys, uh, Jeremy McGovern, the whole incident has sort of rubbed the board and a lot of the Eagles community the wrong way, so what was your assessment of it? Yeah, I, I, I think he's fairly stiff. I, I think the way the grading system set up, once concussion came into it, I think he was cooked. Because uh, I posted about this today, if you look at all the suspensions we've had over the last two years, Nat Nui tackle, Rioli's tackle, Jeddah's tackle and Vardy's bump. All those suspensions have been a result because a player got concussed. And I think because concussion is such a big issue, as soon as that comes up in a medical report, you're basically, you're basically cooked because it becomes medium impact and high contact. And even in the instance with McGowan, he was rated as careless, not intentional. He still, it still comes up as a weak. If you take the concussion out of it and the fact that Golfie's hurt his ribs, it stays medium in- impact, but it's no longer high contact, and it gets back it gets back to a fine. And I think, in fairness to David Grace, I don't know that he had a lot of wriggle room because you could you could potentially say, well, was he really concussed? But I I don't think clubs really want to be going down the path of attacking another club's medical officers. And I think the medical report is basically 
that's the medical report. I don't think you're going to go into a tribunal and say the medical report's shit, and you're going to you're going to get them to agree with it. I think that it's a it's a doctor's report. I don't think you're really going to have much joy challenging that. So it means that the medium impact and the high contact if start, then you've just got to try and get back to the action and try to say it's not a reportable offence and and then try to, you know, as they did, sort of look at the presence of the, the chair and suggest that, you know, perhaps had that not been there, well, then, you know, the injury might not have occurred. So I think they they got given a pretty shit hand and they sort of played the cards they'd been dealt as well as they could, but it's just the way it is. Um, most of the people in the media that I've seen, and certainly the ex-players, have sort of come out and said the government was stiff. And I think that's, that's a fairly good test when the players are sort of pretty much all aligned the same way. You've got a pretty good feel about how the AFL community feel about things. Yeah, so I don't know. I think, I think McGovern was unlucky, but I don't know that the club could have really done much to change it once the, once the findings came through. Which begs the question why they spent $10,000 on challenging it when you know, the, the actual strategy that they adopted um, at the tribunal didn't seem to me to have much prospects of success, and, and that's how the tribunal found it. So, you know, whether they did it just because sort of fans were saying they should, which would surprise me because the Eagles don't really seem to do anything, you know, just because the fans want it. Um, so, yeah, I wonder why, you know, having had the benefit of getting the getting the findings on the Friday after the Thursday night game and having until Monday to decide what to do, um, I wonder why they. Um, elected to run the defence in the first place rather than just cop the leak and save the 10 grand for possibly for parachuting Nat Nui into the team this week without having him in the in the squad. Could have spent it that way instead. 10 grand, mate. That'll be behind the back of the couch. No worries. Don't worry about it. Uh, look, yeah, obviously very frustrating with McGovern, but there might be some cavalry on the way coming back into the back line to lend a hand. So let's move along to the waffle now and we will look at who is set to return. <laughs> The Beagles, 15 goals, 15-105, defeated East Fremantle 4-9-33. Easily the biggest win of the Beagles' young existence. That is pretty much what happens when you bring in multiple premiership stars and about 600 games of AFL experience into a, into a waffle side. Turns out that that actually helps. So, obviously, the big narrative was Nick Nat's return, and we'll start there. That is the main takeaway from the day. Uh, he got through unscathed. That's the first big tick. There were a few concerns that it was a wet day and, you know, perhaps a substandard ground or you know not a, not a perfectly polished ground by any stretch so a little bit of a risk but Nick Nat got through unscathed he played about 65 odd minutes of real time uh, the tap work was amazing there were a few vintage Nick Nat taps he had a great tackle in there that's been making the highlight reels doing the rounds this week uh, his work around the ground was you know he's never been a high possession getter he finished with 10 on the day did look perhaps a, a little bit slow but he worked his way back into it and that's something that I think we'll have to see return gradually over the next couple of weeks, but certainly a great return for Nick Nat. And to me, Miguel, I think he's absolutely ready. Yeah, I think he's he's definitely ready. Yeah, probably a good week to bring him in this week. Well, it doesn't matter what I think is happening anyway by the sound of it. Yeah, he looked very similar to how he came back last time. He sort of came straight in, looked a bit rusty with his disposal, but didn't seem to have lost any of his athleticism, which is amazing after now his second knee recon and he's pushing 30. So... Yeah, he looks great. Um, limited minutes, but he sort of he doesn't play 
a huge amount of minutes anyway. And yeah, just uh, yeah, going to be great to see him in the AFL side this week. Absolutely. Now the other big one, well, sorry, not the only other big one. Apologies to Drew Petrie, but there's not a lot of long-term analysis we can do there. But another one of the big stories from the Waffle Game was the return of Tom Barass. And KK, he looked far, far, far superior to the Waffle class, which you'd hopefully expect. Uh, he was intercepting everything, a few disposals as well. Uh, you know, he, he really imposed himself like you'd expect a veteran AFL key defender to do. Now, he suffered a cork late, but KK, for you, are you happy, let's say, he passes the fitness test straight back in for TB? Absolutely. I would say that even if McGovern was available, but I think it's even more critical now that he's not. I think they took a conservative approach with his injury anyway. And the plan was, yeah, one game waffle straight back in. And I imagine he'd probably done a fair bit of running and prep before that first waffle game. So I've got no worries about him coming straight back in. Same in that anyway. Absolutely. And now, look, I suppose we'll keep this waffle one short because, as I said, they returned a fair few AFL-caliber players to the side. There are a few positive takeaways, and it is that thing where everyone will look better when the team's playing better. But... For myself, obviously, a bit of a personal favourite, somewhat of a podcast and board favourite as well. I thought Jared Brander was terrific. 26 touches for him, two goals. Yeah, really impressive display performance on the wing. Now, Keys, did you get a chance to see this Waffle game? And if so, did anybody else jump off the page at you? I think Cole gave the sort of response. You want a guy who uh, lost his spot in the side. You want guys, if they get dropped, you want them to take it on the chin and butter up and perform well at the, at the, in the Waffle. And I think Cole did that. I think he had, a, he had a really sound game. I think generally around the ball, you know, I think as a presence of Nat Nui, I think he just makes guys look better. But Alan, Archie, Smith, Ainsworth, these sort of guys, they all look better. The ball used to look cleaner. And I I, um, I like Bailey Williams' game. You know, he was he sort of became a bit of a, uh, a favourite of Desert's committees pretty quickly as well. But I thought he's still very raw, but you sort of see the signs of what what he might be, and he, it's pretty exciting. And I'll just sort of back up on what you said on Brander. Yeah, you know, I've been a bit frustrated at times where we've we've sort of got him playing this hybrid role, midfield type role, where I'd I'd like to have seen him playing forward or back uh, more consistently. But that game on the weekend, I probably for the first time I saw why the club was sort of persisting with him in the midfielder and in the midfield and in that, you know, he might actually become the player that can actually run through and, and play on the wing at AFL because he's got he's got the agility and speed and ball skills to play as a midfielder. And I tell you what, if you can get a guy that's six foot five or whatever he is running up and down a wing and use the ball as well as what he seems to be capable of, then that's a real weapon, uh, even if it was someone we all thought was going to be a key position player when we drafted him. Yeah, absolutely. And as I alluded to, look, the, the side, everybody will get a bit of a lift, A, with Nat Nui, but B, just with a better outfit. You know, you've got better teammates, better supply. But that was clearly a standout game uh, for Brander. Cole, as you touched on, I liked as well. And there was a lot to like on the weekend. It was a really enjoyable game of Beagles footy. Now, they are in action again this weekend, South Fremantle, this Saturday at 1.15pm. Clashes pretty much directly with the Eagles game. You know, we might be able to catch the last little bit, but more or less a direct clash yet again. So uh, it'll be interesting to see the reports that come out of that one. But yeah, strong Beagles side, and certainly everybody else is lifting around them.
Let's just get into a bit of news before we move on to the Round 15 preview. The first one doesn't really need too much unpacking. I, I can pretty much sum it up as this. Spectacular news. Nick Natanui has signed a three-year contract. His contract was up at the end of this year, but now he is re-signing with the club. He will be with us until the end of 2022 at the very least. He's pretty much been very upfront, very public about an imminent pay cut. So it's fair to say that there will be you know, a little bit of salary freed up in this new contract. We haven't seen any numbers in the media yet, as far as I can tell. So no point speculating there, but great news to have Nick Nat back and looking after him. He'll be looking after us. It's just a really good uh, relationship, obviously, that we've built with Nat Nui. Quick one on the injury list. Bynes is listed as TBC with a hernia still, although I understand that he's returned to training. Similarly for Edwards with his foot injury, still TBC, but he's back on the track. Venables, still TBC with a concussion, but the club acknowledged it today. Simo, for the first time on record, I think he mentioned that uh, they're hoping Dan Venables can come back this year. Now, aside from that, and aside from a test for Tom Barras with that cork, we have a clean bill of health. So that's great for the Eagles. It's also very good for the Beagles to continue pumping some depth through there as well. A lot of healthy bodies, and the Eagles are timing it to perfection. A nice post-buy run. Now, the other bit of news, uh, Miguel, we'll start with you on this one. Brady Rawlings. He has been approached or he's set to be approached by North Melbourne to take over as their football manager. He's obviously very good mates with Adam Simpson, but he's got strong North Melbourne ties, 245 games with the club, and it's starting perhaps to seem very likely that we will lose him uh, either very shortly or at the end of the season. So what do you make of that move there and how do the Eagles look to replace Rawlings should he go? It'd be amazing if we actually lose someone to North that we want to keep because um, you know they've basically chased after everyone and not got them. So it'd be disappointing to lose Rawlings, but we've kept Gaff out of their hands. We've kept McGovern out of their hands. Oh, imagine uh, if, he, if he gave him a verbal commitment and reneged. Just the, <laughs> how sweet that off-season thread would be. I'd have to create a new user and start jumping back on Big Footy again. Uh, Simpson as well, they're apparently, I think he's come out today and said that you know, they um, made an approach to him and he told them to get stuffed. But yeah, it'd be disappointing to lose Rawlings, but of those four, he's probably the one we can most afford to lose. Um, the list management has been pretty good. It's difficult to know sort of how much of that's down to him without knowing what goes on behind the closed doors. But, yeah, certainly the list is looking in really good shape and he's had that job about five years. So, yeah, it'd be disappointing to lose him. Um can understand the lure of you know, going back to Melbourne and going back to the club where he played. So, yeah, hopefully we don't, but it'd be nice to pull one over them and yeah, get him to stay. Oh, I think he'll, he'll, be a, um, he'll be a pretty big loss. I think he's been... I think he's been in the club five or six years, but the first couple of years he was a development coach. And I think he moved into that risk management role about three years ago. As Miguel said, you know, it's hard to know from the outside who who's responsible for what. But I think since he's been risk manager, I think we've been a bit more ruthless with the list, which I think was a weakness... Beforehand, I think we, we tended to hang on to some players a little bit too long. There's still elements of that, but I think uh, the last two seasons we've cut, we've cut a little bit deeper and I think that could potentially be down to his influence. So, yeah, he, he's a pretty good operator. It'll be a shame to lose him, but it's a, it's a, it's a promotion for him because the, the role that North Melbourne are talking about is general manager, which is the equivalent role to what Craig Bozzo does. So... I can't see the club standing in his way if that's happening. And my reading of the, the comments Simpson said in the press conference today is they're sort of saying, talking about conversations ongoing and things like that. 
my read on that is that that's around the timing of his of his move, more so than whether or not. I had a bit of a peek at the North Melbourne board today to see what I could find out, and it seems like this has been possibly bubbling away for a, for a few weeks now. So I don't know that whilst it's come out in the public domain today, I don't think it's a surprise for the club or anyone like that. I think it's actually fairly well advanced, and so it's a shame. But uh, you know, these things happen with clubs, you know, especially when you've got good people. Uh, you know, other clubs will uh, will come knocking and, and try and pull them away. Well, we acknowledged a couple of weeks ago that the Eagles were entering a very rough stretch of games, a couple of danger games, one after another after another, and it is that time again. Round 15, the West Coast Eagles play Hawthorne at the MCG. It's something that's historically been a bit of a hoodoo. It's something that we've perhaps managed to get on top of a few of our other hoodoos, so yet another one to put to bed coming up. Hawks currently 12th on the ladder. They're only 2-4 and four at the MCG this year. And they're currently riding a three-game losing streak. So perhaps the Eagles, uh, you know, a little bit of an opportunity, KK, perhaps to get on top and, and put another hoodoo to bed. Absolutely. Uh, this Hawthorne is not even Hawthorne of 2017 was the last time they, they towered us up at the MCG. I think, yeah, their, their best is, is behind them, as you would expect from a team that was as dominant as they were for so long. And I think this is a hoodoo that we've got a great chance to put it to bed. And I think much like the Collingwood at the MCG last year, I think we'll we'll get the job done. I think just on on paper and on form, we're, we're much stronger than them, and we really um, it, it's time to, to to show that. It was a great great win last week, tough stretch of games, um, but I think it's another one we'll tick off. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned. I mean, obviously your your list is always going to age and. You'll lose a couple of guys. That peak elite three-peat Hawthorne team, obviously personnel-wise, very different to the current lineup. But from a game plan point of view, it's it's difficult to pinpoint what perhaps has changed. Their kick numbers are right down uh, on last year, but their mark numbers are still fairly high up and pretty much in line with the Eagles as well. So similar game styles still. Simo and Clarkson obviously very well connected in the coaching tree also. It's a bit of a tough one to figure out why Hawthorne are going backwards, but some of the names that are in that side, very fresh faces, uh, very new to footy. So perhaps something where, Miguel, we've got a very experienced list and maybe they will just be mature enough to get on top of some younger Hawks. Yeah, the Hawks seem to be in a, a bit of transition at the moment. They've obviously pretty publicly dropped Roughhead, I think hoping to sort of find the next sort of big key forward that they can rely on, and they haven't really found that. No, they've They've had a few guys sort of float through that role, but um, no one's really sort of put their hand up. So they're missing a bit of goal-kicking power. Uh, they're obviously missing Tom Mitchell in the middle, who's probably going to miss the year. Um, so, yeah, it's a good chance to, um, as KK said, break that hoodoo. Uh, we've got a, a pretty good record. At, well, we, I think we're unbeaten at the MCG in the last two years. We've got a pretty good record against Hawthorne in Melbourne overall. Um, although not so much at the MCG, and um, we're coming in on, on good form and uh, we'll be riding, uh, having Nat Nui back and Rioli as well back in the side, so great time to get them. Uh, hopefully Sam Mitchell doesn't give them too much sort of inside info on us, and hopefully we can get a bit of inside info on them from Simpson, although he's, he's been gone a long time. Uh, but, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's another danger game, and we identified a couple of weeks ago that this was a sort of danger period of, this, uh, of four weeks or so for us coming off the bye. But, yeah, certainly a winnable game. And, um, yeah, hopefully uh, everything goes right for us. Now, the big story 
all throughout the last couple of weeks has been the return of Nat Nui. Based on the club's media, based on their presence and press conferences, it seems as though this is the week. Nick Nat will be back, uh, and you know, barring any late setbacks or anything like that. So he's back. It's an interesting one. He's coming up against Segler, who also did his ACL in the same game that Nat Nui did his you know, the, for the first time. He's making his return at the MCG, which is, of course, the venue that he did his second ACL. Uh, it's a little bit serendipitous this week, but Keys, Nat Nui back in. So let's have a look. How do we fit him into the side? What are your expectations from him first up? And, and who makes way to ensure that we can get Nat Nui in this week? I think it might be Oscar Allen that makes way. I think Hickey did enough against Essendon to suggest that um, he keeps his spot. And I think Nat Nui being a bit underdone, I think they'll want a, a bona fide ruck to, to pair up with him uh, rather than, than Allen particularly with McAvoy and Segler, who are fairly solid and experienced ruck combination. So I suspect it'll probably be Allen that gets squeezed out. And this, we, particularly with the weather forecast, I think, being wet, I don't think they'll be tempted to, to reshuffle the forward line to keep Allen in there with Kennedy and Darling. So I think he might be the unlucky one that gets squeezed. I think Nat Nui, we've probably got a temporary expectations. You know, there's a big, there's a big difference between coming up as much as Griffin's AFL experience, he's a bit older and things like that. So McAvoy's another challenge again. So I think he'll have an impact. I think our mids will enjoy having him out there at centre bounces and just his presence around the ground. But I don't think we should be going into the game thinking he's going to dominate straight up. And if he can get if he can get somewhere near the stats he had in that game against Fremantle, I think the club will be wrapped. KK, just while we're on that, Nui, uh, we've got a question from Quinns this week. And we'll apply it, first of all, to this week, but then maybe you can project a little bit down the line if this is something that could happen in future. So do you think that Oscar Allen can play if he isn't the second ruck? And long-term as well, do you think that there is a chance that the club will turn the ruck division over to an Allen-Natanui pairing rather than Natanui and perhaps another more recognised full-time ruckman? I think there is a... Maybe right now there probably isn't a spot for Allen. I don't know if we'll get to a stage where we'll see a Natanui... Allen combination, just because Nat Nui's never had a huge amount of percentage time on ground, so that would be asking Allen to do a lot more rucking than he's done in the past, and I really think I, I don't think his long-term future is as a backup ruckman. I think it's as a key position player forward or back. So in the short term he might he might be squeezed out, um, but I think long-term he'll be in best 22, but not as part of that. I would think it's more likely um, sort of Bailey Williams might be, be taking that role as the as the ruck option going forward to be paired with Natanui. Um, that would be in a year or two's time, and I think we might see a Hickey-Natanui combo for a while. Very good. Now, just moving the focus back to this week, Miguel, look, we touched on Hawthorne have been through a bit of a, a churn in their list, and there are a couple of younger guys coming through. No Tom Mitchell, as you identified, but there are still some very dangerous players out there. Uh, you know, Ricky Henderson, Jager O'Meara, Shields... Sicily, I think they've been throwing him forward lately, but you know he's been quite a damaging player in his career thus far as well. Is there anybody in particular or any matchup in particular that you'd like to see addressed? Is there somebody that you'd like to see tagged? Is there a small forward matchup you want to see resolved? You know, what where where are we looking to really clamp down on Hawthorne and restrict them like we did with Essendon? I'm trying to work out who the best matchup for Hutchings would be. Um, and it's probably either O'Meara in the middle or Isaac Smith on a wing. They're probably the the two that you'd most identify as the, the danger players. Um, 
certainly in terms of guys that Hutchings could match up on. I don't know that they've sort of got the equivalent of a Saad or a McKenna that he could play as a defensive forward on. Um, so that's, that's I think, probably the main issue at selection for us, uh, apart from the ruck question, which has probably resolved itself by now, um, is what do we do with Hutchings and, and what that means for the rest of the team balance. Yeah, in, in terms of the other matchups, so Bruce is a, a danger forward, obviously, whether... Uh, Nelson goes to him. I think Nelson's probably done enough to keep his spot. He was he was pretty impressive over um, over McDonald, Tip, and Woody, and uh, as good as Tom Cole was when he he went back to the waffle. I think Nelson, the jobs he's done in the two games he's had so far at AFL level, suggests to me that he's worth persisting with in that real stopper role. So he would probably take a Bruce or maybe a Popolo or or someone. And, uh, yeah, the, the other questions, I suppose, who Shepard, Shepard probably take Gunston. That's a pretty good matchup. Gunston's got him for height, but he's quite sort of slightly built and, and uh, Shepard's been basically unstoppable, uh, this year. So I'd, yeah, be putting him on their most dangerous forward, which I think is Gunston. Um, so yeah, they're the matchups that I'd be most worried about, I think. And I'll talk a bit more about Hutchings when we get to changes. Well, let's do it then. Let's get straight into changes. For myself, the the ins are very obvious. Fingers crossed Tom Barras is all right. Let's let's work on the assumption that he is. So Tom Barras, Nick Natanui, Willie Rioli, three massive ins uh, for this weekend. For the outs, McGovern's obviously got to come out. And I think, as you've all touched on now, yeah, Oscar Allen is mine to make way for Nick Natanui. I really like that Natanui-Hickey pairing. Hickey, again, you know, his ability to take the ball out of the ruck, Natanui's ability to take the ball out of the ruck, uh, that's something where we could see a fair few clearances coming from our ruck division as well. Now, the last change, I've got Marston coming out. I'm open. My initial thoughts were perhaps a Petricelli, somebody like that, uh, and, and keep Marston in if that's, you know, they need that running on the size of the MCG. But for now, I'm going to go Barras, Natanui, Rioli in, uh, McGovern out suspended, and then Oscar Allen and Chris Marston make way. What's your plan B if Barras doesn't get up? Uh, I hadn't really got that far, but I would suggest given the size of Hawthorne's forward line, that is to say not particularly tall, you could probably get away with a Rotham. Cole played well as well. So, I mean, either of those guys, it's, it's, we've got, we're building off good waffle form. I think you could select from either of those guys. There is the option you could throw Allen back, but I think we're running out of forwards to bring in. So perhaps you could keep Oscar Allen in and just have him as a key back, but I think the simpler solution is maybe a Rotham for Gov, let's say if Barras doesn't get up. Keys, I'll throw to you as well now on this one. So what are your changes for round 15? Yeah, well, I think, obviously, um, McGovern, I've said before, I think Allen's the one that gets squeezed out. The other one, yeah, look, it's probably it's probably a toss-up between Maston and Cameron. I think Cameron came in because Rioli was, was suspended. So on that sort of logic, you sort of like for the like, Rioli comes in for Cameron. But I've been really big on the the seven eight seven, and I think with Maston's the extra mid, so I'd like to see us probably. Yeah, Maston didn't do a lot wrong, but he did have a massive influence in the game on against Essendon. So I'd like to see us keep those seven forwards and um, squeeze Maston out of the side. But you know, the mass committee we've discussed it in the past. They, they've got. They like Maston, they like, they obviously got a, some likes for what he does. Um, whether he did enough to, to please them or not, we, we can only speculate for the time being. So it'll be one of those, so it'll be either Maston or Cameron, I think, that, that comes out. 
and yeah, I think if Barras doesn't come up, you know, you're, you're probably looking at uh, at Rothman coming in uh, with a small chance that maybe Allen gets pushed back uh, if they want to keep him in the side and and probably have a bit of flexibility that they can throw him forward if need be. So the the flip side of a um, of a short injury list like we've got just at the minute is uh, spots in the 22 become very very hard to come by and there'd be some lengthy discussions at match committee level, I would have thought, just deciding who they do bring in, or more importantly, who they who gets left out. Because when you have a dominant game like we did against Essendon, you, you're not necessarily looking for guys to, to drop because no one deserved it. Yeah, that's it. KK, for you, the ins, do you have any other ones other than the big three, assuming Tom Brass gets up, and who makes way for those guys? Yeah, I did have one other one. Thinking of Hutchings, I, I think we're a better team when Hutchings is not tagging in the middle. I think with the form that Yo, Shuey and, and, and Redden as well as our, our main three, because they're all good defensively and very good tacklers, that I think we and I don't think we lose anything defensively by not having Hutchings in the guts. Um, and with the added bonus that they're all ball winners as well. So I think I think for Hutchings tagging roles going forward, we're looking more like someone like Saad replays as a defensive forward or that sort of someone who's a bit bit more on the outside, um, like a side bottom sort of type that starts on the on the wing. So I'm really not seeing a matchup for Hutchings this week. I wouldn't mind seeing Waterman uh, or maybe even Brander come in for Hutchings. I'm probably thinking Waterman. And the other thing Waterman gives us is he's a, he's a good athlete, covers a lot of ground, because Nat knew he's not going to play a lot. He's probably going to be on the bench when he's not in the ruck, I don't think he'll spend too much time forward. So I think having Waterman as that, that marking option up forward and also be able to cover a lot of the ground, a lot of the minutes and that, no, he's not, might be a better option than Hutchings. I have Petricelli coming out for Rioli. Uh, I think uh, might be sort of time to, to give him a spell. I think having all of Rioli, Ryan, Petricelli, Crips and Cameron in there at the same time. And I think it, it's a bit too one one dimensional. I think I'd like to um, just keep the same mix as last week, but have Rioli Petricelli. I would have Allen as the travelling emergency. If Barras doesn't get up, I'd have Allen going back into defence. And if Barras does get up, Allen gets a week off, which probably isn't too bad a thing either. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of options, and as Keith pointed out, we've got a fair few people to choose from, so be one to watch when we do get to Selection Day. Miguel, give us your changes and also take it away with the predictions as well. What can we expect the result to be this week? Who is going to be the best Eagle as well? I think my changes pretty much echo what everyone else has said. Um, you know, Barras, obviously, for McGovern, um, if Barras isn't going to get up, and I think they probably need to make that call tomorrow before they get on the plane, if he's not going to get up, then I think Rotham would be my preferred in. I did toy earlier in the week with the idea of um, playing Oscar Allen back. He, he's done that once this year and um, and a little bit last year. But as you said, Hawthorne don't have a particularly tall forward line. Um, you know, Rotham's been in pretty good form in the waffle. And um, apart from the Sydney game when everyone was terrible, he's shown a bit at AFL level. So if Barras isn't going to be available and with McGovern not available, it's another... Um, opportunity to give him a taste of it. Allen out for Nat Nui is unfortunate, but uh, inevitable, I think. Uh, and um, at the risk of sounding like um, 
our hungry former friend. Uh, yeah, I think Maston's the one that's got to make way for Rioli. Um, I like the look of Cameron, as we touched on before, and I would like to see all of those guys running around together in the forward line, causing a bit of chaos, which means I think Hutchings, if he's not tagging, I think his best role is in that the same role that Maston's played and that, that Hutchings played while Maston was out of the side. Um, and I just prefer him to Maston in that role just because he offers a bit more versatility. And if someone like an O'Meara or or Walpole or someone gets off the chain, then you can sort of switch Hutchings onto him to, to quell him a bit. So just for the versatility he offers, I think, um, leave him in the side over uh, Maston. And yeah, as Keyes said as well, I like I like the 7-8-7 setup that they've got. And um, I think if you drop either Petrocelli or Cameron for Rioli and you throw Hutchings back in the midfield, then you sort of you throw that out a bit. We're carrying one too many midfielders then. Uh, so, yeah, so they, they're my changes. And uh, predictions, uh, I'm worried about, predict, about picking us this week, but, yeah, we are in good form. Hawthorne aren't. It's a good time to get them, and I think we'll win by, I'll say, 23 points. Uh, and the best for us will be Dom Sheed to go back-to-back and, and have another ripper. Very good. Keys. your thoughts about how this weekend's game finishes up? Yeah, I think the biggest. Yeah, I think when you look at the form lines of the two sides and the, the sides on paper, it's a game we we should win. I think we're playing better footy. We've got close to close to full strength. Hawthorne are still missing a few. The concern for me is Hawthorne are a, a pretty dangerous side with their backs to the wall. They've they've got the guy who is the best coach in the competition. He's a very clever operator. So um, I'm wary of a of an ambush like they did to GWS uh, a couple of months ago. So there's an element of doubt in there, and just a I guess a concern that we might get we might get cut, cut out coached or you know out out jumped, and the players might be not quite ready for for something new that Clarkson throws at them. And also, you know, I don't think we should underestimate. Um, some of the intel that Mitchell would have got was at the club as to how some of our midfielders worked, particularly because he was, you know, reasonably instrumental in the improvement of some of them. So, yeah, it's a concern, but I think we should we should still win. Probably not dissimilar to the one we won there last year in a pretty hard fought hard fought game that we you know, we get over the line by you know maybe 15 points, and I think Hearn will be our best player. I think with, with McGovern out of the side, he'll be the one that stands up. KK, your round 15 predictions? I'm going to back us in. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to go for Eagles by 29 points because it's on the 29th and that's my birthday. So give me a nice present, boys. I've had too many bad losses to Hawthorne the MCG. And I think uh, Redden will be our, our best player, I think. His his form's been a bit underrated last um last month or so, and he's likely to get under the radar and not attract a tag, so I'm backing him to have another another good game. I'll take a one-point win. I really don't care about the margin. As long as we, if this, this month, just win the games. We'll worry about the margins later. Very good. For myself, a uh, little bit of numerology I'm going to get involved this week. So the Hawks, weirdly, they started the season scoring 87 points three weeks in a row. 
Well, their last three weeks, they've lost all of them by 19 as well. 19, 19, and 19. So I am going to pick the West Coast Eagles by 19 points. We're going to follow this Hawthorne numerology trend until it dies. Bit stressed that we've all picked the Eagles because I don't think it's a slam dunk by any stretch. But yeah, you've all said it. The Eagles do look a cut above the Hawks over the course of this season. Uh, Now, whether it turns out that way on the day remains to be seen, but it is one that they need to, yet again, make a statement to the league and say, you know, we're ready to go. Second half of the year is all ours. Andrew Gaff is going to lead the way. A lot of great space at the MCG. He tore up Collingwood on on return when we last went to the G, and he's going to do it again this week against the Hawks. Right, that'll do us for this week. Thanks very much for listening, as always. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them through to anybody on the pod or chuck them in the thread where this is posted on Big Footy. It's been a bumper episode. We've got through a fair amount. Keys, thanks very much for coming on the pod to chat Eagles footy with us. No worries, guys. Appreciate it. KK, fantastic as always to have you on, and fingers crossed that the Eagles can get a birthday victory for you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, always a pleasure. And Miguel, last but certainly not least... Thank you very much for rounding out this All Stars Dream Team lineup of podcast guests this week. Yeah, no problem, and uh, happy birthday to KK. Fingers crossed the Eagles can get it done for us, can get it done for KK, and really just get it done for the uh, great state of WA leading into the Derby the next week. We want to bring some form into that one. There will be plenty to unpack this time next week. We'll be looking at the Hawks game. We'll be previewing the Derby. I'm sure there'll be a fair bit of anti-Fremantle slander getting thrown around, so next week certainly not one to miss. But as always, thanks very much for listening, and we will speak to you soon. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Bye.